and welcome to Planet NOLA. I'm your host, Mary Jacobs. And before I introduce this week's guest, I'm going to give a couple of disclaimers, which I don't normally do, but our shop where we record um, is out of AC right now. The AC has run, left the building. It is not here, and it is hot. So we have fans on. I've made a little bit of a swamp cooler. So the sound quality might not be the best on this episode, and I'm sorry, but also it's just it's New Orleans. It is what it is. Like No one's going to come fix, fix an air conditioning on the weekend. Um, number two, we did switch our room, so it might be the first time you're seeing it. We're in the same place. Isn't it cute? I hope you like it. Um, and yeah, I think that's all the disclaimers I have for today. Let me introduce you guys to our guest this week. I am so honored that you are here. Thank you. Oh, wow. Um, Terry is like a cold call because you didn't know me from anybody. Thankfully, no. Rusty introduced us. Um, and so this is Terry Simon, an alt academic, which she's going to explain to us briefly. Yeah. And I found you because you wrote an article for the New Orleans Historic Collection um, comparing Back That Ass Up with like an 18th century, what was it? Uh, Bambula by Godshaw. Yeah. Which so, is a classic jam, a classic jam. A truly classic. We're talking olden classic. Um, and it was such a good article because it was funny, but it was also like very academic. Um, and it's like, f- for me, it like met at the perfect intersection of like, I'm not like, the, like I like to read. I consider myself educated, but I also like, that, I'm not that serious. You know what I mean? So for me, I was like, oh, I'm getting history and I'm getting pop culture. Like, that's all I love. Like, I want what I want. I like, love that. Thank you so much. It was so fun to read. I was like, and as soon as I read it, I was like, I need to talk to the person that wrote this. And here it. you are. I just love getting to make um, from the 19th century to the 9-9 joke for money. Honestly, and like getting paid for it. Truly. At my job. You did great. You did That's why great. I went to grad school, you know. Was the historic New Orleans collection, were they all about it? Were you like? Um, yeah, I think. So I'm. Because it feels like kind of a hard pitch. Well, so I work in the publishing department at the Historical mm. Rollins Collection, so I'm an associate editor, and that piece went on our blog, First Draft, and we have, you know, a certain amount of freedom being inside the collection to kind of pitch what we want, but originally that kind of started as just, like, just a, dr- a drunken sentence. It's like, <laughs> what, the most Rollins songs ever? Clearly it's Back That Ass Up by the one and only Lord and Savior, Terrius Gray, a.k.a. Juvenile. And Bambula by Louis Moreau Godshaw. Like, who else, <laughs> what else would it be? Um, that then, sometimes I say things out loud and people will, like, ask me to justify it and I'll dig in. Uh-huh. And as I dug in, I was like, oh, actually, I can make this a heavily nuanced um, <laughs> argument, both about, like, musicality Don't and you love when you say some conceptualizations. Shit and you're, like, you're like, oh, I just said some shit and it means something. Right? Like, sometimes it just comes out and you're like, no, wait, that's true. I do that all the time. It's like the real-life version of when you're watching a TV show or a movie and they say the title in the dialogue and uh, you're like, fucking right, you did it. <laughs> oh, are we allowed to curse? Yes, okay. I, we curse. We already have cool. an explicit rating because I've got a potty mouth. Nice. Um, but though I have started to apply for grants and I'm like, are they going to be mad that I curse on the podcast? feels like it's an adult thing, right? It's for grown people. That's what I'm saying. It's for grown folks. We were talking about this with uh, Rusty Laser. It's like professionalism. I'm not very good at it. You know, like, I just, I like what I like. I make what I make. I talk the way I talk. Like, who needs to be buttoned up, you know? Probably at the Historic New Orleans Collection, you have to be a little buttoned up. There are are appropriateness issues in wars, and we have a dress code, but, um... We're pretty free. Really? <laughs> in lock- well, I feel like that because I'm in the publications department. I don't have to in- interact with the, the public. public. That makes <laughs> sense. That makes complete sense. Yeah, you would. it seems like such a buttoned up, like, when I hear historic New Orleans collection, I'm like, oh, that is like an institution, you know? Yeah. Well, you should come by because, uh, well, we actually, there have been some changes internally, kind of really thoughtful and, and important and necessary changes internally to make the collection and the facilities more representative of all of us as New Orleans and as South Louisianians and also just kind of like more interesting. Yeah. Um, Originally, the collection began as someone's collection. Right. Um, And so it didn't, it wasn't as much like an archive or a museum where there's kind of curatorial choices in terms of what... It's just somebody's interest, basically. Yeah. It was like the difference between going to the library and a little free library box where like one, someone's making choices based on community needs and standards to put things on the shelves. The other, somebody's just like, you might find some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, And so now we have a lot more internally building relationships with relationships with other institutions and with community members and just kind of thinking a little bit more critically about what it means to be a collection for regional history because we're all part of this region right which is to say come through we have cool stuff why did you feel drawn there 
Um, I, well, I ended up applying there. I had a job and I was helping my partner look for jobs because she was out of work at the time. She was like applying for a new job. And I looked and I happened to see they were hiring and I was like, oh, you should apply for this, Kelsey. And I was like, oh, wait, I actually I should apply have for this. to apply for yeah, this. Yeah, like actually, JK. Um, my background, I have a master's degree in English and literary studies and my undergrad is in English and history. And in all of like my kind of schoolwork, I focused on regional history, black women's history, like the histories of the places that I come from and I'm interested in. Um, and you're from New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Gentilly, actually, not far down the road. Best part of New Orleans. <laughs> and I just, like, it, it made sense for made me sense. to want to do multifaceted writing, writing connected to history, connected to histories in, like, a place that I know well and am really interested in. Yeah, it sounds really like a dream in. job for what you kind of studied and were doing. Yeah. That's and I up. came from a background, too, of, like, um, for a lot of people who have, you know, graduate degrees in humanities, especially in English and history... Uh, the job pickings are slim, <laughs> slim and yeah. soul crushing. Yeah. Um, especially if you don't want to teach, which I have done and hate it. Don't want to do not. Right. I don't. I'm not good at it and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, but um, and for me as a New Orleanian, as a black woman, a lot of the kind of freelance academic work freelance or adjacent academic work I was getting, the kind of alternative academic stuff was identity-based, which can be really interesting, but can also be really exhausting. Yeah, it's like uh, like you, you suddenly make your job having to do this generational, like heavy, nuanced, Just emotionally constantly. sensitive and relevant to who you are as a literal person. Well, and I sort of set my, in retrospect, I set myself up for some not fun times. My master's thesis was on um, Katrina literature and authenticity in Katrina literature and kind mm. of looking at the body of literature that rises up in the years right after the storm, maybe the first five years after the storm. Um, and how those forms attach to authorship and authority of the voices writing. So like when we think about like if you look at Katrina literature, especially One in Dead the, and Attic? If you look at Katrina Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you talking about One Dead and Attic? Um I the am. book that I or Zeitune, Zeitgoon. Zeitune? I couldn't even get through that one. I couldn't even get through oh, it. I wish I had brought it. I have a really fun visual aid. Really? Oh, this so one of the books that I, what a chapter of my thesis is basically, again, when you just want to like, you just make a drunk joke and then you're like, I will follow this up, except for I wasn't joking the first time. There's this book called Five Days at Memorial by Sherry Fink. And an entire chapter of my thesis is just why that book is the worst. <laughs> um, and I was watching TV night before last, maybe. And I just found out that I think Apple TV made a... No. series about this book and it's trash that's I trash. mean I'm sure it's probably in many ways it's probably fine TV I'm also a person who loves to consume media so like same, same. like it's probably fine TV it might be good TV I just I think it's really bad book it's on the internet I want to read it wait what else did you talk about besides um, that one so um there was a collection out of UNO Press Oh, goodness, I should have looked at it before I walked over here. It's been a while. Or Sorry, before I'm I quizzing you here. on something you did forever ago, but... What did he call it? Do, I think it's... Uh, do you know what it means to Miss New Orleans? Oh, what is a classic the name, name. What a What a, what a creative uh, name. The anthology. But it's... Um, it was one of the few ones that I really enjoyed. All right. Um, beca partially because it's an anthology. So it's two books. Gosh, I really should fact check myself. It's been a while. It's okay. People in this podcast well, aren't going to ask for your resources. Well, no. They're, yeah. We're all degenerates, you know? Like, I'll email you later. And you yeah, can, like, let you me can, know. Like, put a link did you thing. talk about One Dead and Attic in Zeitune or Zeitgoon um, or blah, blah, blah? In, I think, my proposal I did, but, but not. You didn't wind up using them? Yeah. Interesting. I remember when those books came out. I remember, I, I mean, I remember following Chris Rose's stuff when I was evacuated. Yeah. Like, I remember all of that stuff. That's, that's such an interesting topic that you've chosen. I just, it was a... It was interesting, and I'm glad I did it. It was also, like, did not know what I was setting myself up for. <laughs> um, but so this anthology, one of the nice things about it was because it was an anthology compared to a lot of other literature about the storm, it's mm -hmm. multivocal. Um, and these anthologies were super cool because they were multivocal across time, too. So there's selections. Um, Lolas, what's his name? Your boy, Lolas. He <laughs> has an, an essay that he writes. I think he wrote his essay that went into it 
you know, in the three or four years after the storm. Then there's Whoa, things yeah. from travel, from travelogues from the Ooh, 1900s. Great. Yeah. And it's just a really, it's kind of like a pick your own adventure book. Mm-hmm. And the chapters in the beginning of the book are set up so you can either follow along, like you can go through in terms of chronology, like follow this is the one that was written in 1800 this Mm -hmm. is the one that's written in 2005 or you can follow they're lined up in this kind of it's a beautiful art object the book Mm -hmm. um so it's lined up on a map of the city and there's little like number one oh number one is this piece that is written about this place and so you're putting all of these voices kind of in dialogue with each other and it's really one of the things I think worked really well about it like I didn't love every piece in it or like Mm. think every piece was enjoyable to read or like not want to like there were definitely writers who got in there who I probably would have wanted to fight right but (laughs) nobody gets more than 25 pages before somebody else gets to step in and be like hey and so I think that especially for something like a communal history and a history of trauma leaves a lot more space for kind of authorship and authority to come from all of us like I think there's this idea that like capital T truth comes from um like universe or like universality so if everyone has to have it for it to be the capital T truth and I think actually it's much more like all of our truths Mm -hmm. are valid and we'll never know what the truth of a thing is exactly and when you offer like a bigger lens and you can see everyone's interpretation of the reality then you can then form your own understanding of it based on all the accounts it's like you know when you when they make chair legs the yes. machine they make chair legs in the lathe, uh-huh. how it, it spins around. You have a piece of wood and it and spins and it, it keeps yeah. on getting closer mm-hmm. and closer to the center. Mm-hmm. I think authenticity and authority for communal stories and especially for trauma comes something more from something like that, where the more little pieces you get in, the closer you get to the core of, you know, the object, the event, the whatever. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that all the pieces you shaved off weren't part of the wood. Right, right, you know right. what I mean? Like, so that was my thesis and it was chill. And <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but I graduated from grad school in 2015, so like right at the 10 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really kind of jumped into and in some ways was pushed into kind of doing a lot of really public talking and thinking about New Orleans, about the storm, about yeah. identity. Um, and this too was 2015, where when we kind of look at what the city was, our conversations about identification, identity, race, um, whether or not, like how the city was going to grow were a little bit different than I think they are now. Um, I think in 2015, I don't think we knew it yet as like people from here. Mm -hmm. I think we still thought we had a chance. Yeah. Um, Whereas now, I think for me, as someone who grew up here, a multi-generational New Orleanian, like I know it's over. I I wrote a a play in 2015 about it. I knew. I was like, this is it. Because... I went away for college, and I came back, and I went away from 2008 to 2013, 2012. Yeah. And it, that was the, all it took. Those five years, like, I came those back. Those were, like, a Those were the five really years. Important. I truly came home, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I remember, we always say pre-Katrina. I remember New Orleans pre-Katrina, very different place. I remember it so vividly, right? And then I remember post-Katrina New Orleans, and then I remember the five years I stayed away from New Orleans and came back. And, and tried to resettle here. And I just was like, the play I wrote was, it was, a, it was like a, a satire and it was about an alien moving back to their planet and the planet was New Orleans. That's where the name of this podcast comes from, Planet Nola. Oh, cute. And she, she came back sense. and she suddenly was an alien on her own planet. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was this like come of age story of this girl like trying to, re- it was my story of like moving back to home and being like, I don't recognize this place anymore. And like I, part of that is because I was away and the other part of it is because it changed a lot while I was away. So I hear you. Yeah. Well, and it's, I think <laughs> I like the way you said that we it, thought we still had hope also. I was I, like, damn, Terry. Well, I just think when for me, like at that point in time, there was still, it wasn't, when I think about it too, I feel You're like not for wrong. me personally, and then also like kind of, I think for a lot of people, there was more edge too and anger. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe that like anger and that saltiness was also the kind of early recognitions that we lost. Because um, I just remember like just being, so much saltier all the time about these pieces of the world that I grew up in that were no longer there and you know going into spaces I was doing at that point in time you know a lot of work where I was overlapping with the uh the incoming creative class yeah (laughs) um you know like film adjacent stuff education adjacent stuff right and it was just like y'all motherfuckers come and make so much money and like 
know nothing. And so often yeah. I was, you know, called on specifically to do this identity-based work oh because God. I had the resume for it. Yeah. And like, I'm cute. Do you know I'm Zach like, Manuel? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went to school his... at Franklin. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's been on the podcast and that's one of the things he and I talk about before and after and during the podcast was how sometimes he gets asked to film things because he's a black man from New Orleans. And there's he charges a tax for that because it's like, oh, I have to like sell my identity, basically. In film, because that's in film, there's also ways that you can, if you're, especially if you're behind the camera, you can charge that tax. Yeah. Like it's still, it's still, it is still a tax on you, right? right? Like of it's course. still hard and difficult, but there's a level of control um, and agency and being able to like add, a, add an item line yeah. that you don't get in the same way when you're doing the kind of stuff that I was doing, which was discourse related or whatever. Like I was making the content, but I was like, you know, it was constantly like, hey, can we interview you for this thing? Yeah. People from, if you're interviewed, you don't get paid necessarily Mm-mm. to be interviewed. Yeah. And that was part of what my thesis was about too. The idea that like, if we look at the root of author and authority, these are, these root, these words have the same root, right? Mm-hmm. So why, when we look at journalism and uh, long form nonfiction, the kinds of literature that were coming out of the storm and continually the kinds of sto- of stories we tell about the storm and about other trauma, community, identity-based yep. stuff, why is it that the people who by definition are going to hold the most knowledge, not because like, not because I went to I school for, for it. I applied for my first grant this week to pay people to come on the podcast. Because right yeah. now it's a hobby, we have no money. But I want to be able to pay people mm-hmm. like you and the people in the city that are the culture bearers whose stories are being bought and sold for free all the time. Like, can I get Constantly. your opinion? Can I get your story? Can yeah. I get... Well, and here's the thing, like you say, whose stories are being bought and sold and you say for free at the same time. Like you, if you listen back, you said bought and sold for yeah, free. Because the they're op- not, the, the stories are being bought and sold. This is a commodity. We exactly. know there, we know this is an industry, but the only people not getting paid are the ones who it's extracted from. And that for me was like, just consistently infuriating. Like I would. I'm right. I'm. We are ugh. right here because I literally. I, Jazz and Heritage. If you're listening, I applied for a grant last <laughs> week, and it's literally. I want to be able to pay people. I would like to be able to pay myself, but primarily, I'd like to be able to pay people. I'd like to be able to. And pay there's people. no other. There's no other kind of industry or place where we have this bizarre standard. Like if you watch the news, if you watch, if you watch 24/7 news cable, like cable news channels, and you see those talking heads. They're paid. Yeah, of they're course. paid for their expertise, their appearances, right? and their expertise. Um, everywhere else, we pay people for this. We pay people more when they have more degrees. Why is it that I can put on my resume these things that will make me money because I have this degree and this degree and this degree? But like, and but at the same time, you'll come to me because my grandma lived in Pontchartrain Park, but you can't pay me because you. Not only will you not pay me because my gra- grandmother lived in Pontchartrain Park but if you and you're trying to interview me at like a news station or a publishing company then go to your boss and say hey we talked to this person whose grandmother's from Pontchartrain Park I would like to pay I'd uh-huh. like to pay her your boss is going to say no we can't pay subjects like the idea of like the way that we like use the word subject and object and all this discourse yeah, I don't know we're like buying and selling people their their stories their identities like we were just talking about a minute ago and you know some people can really leverage it some people really know their value and their worth and like good but most people especially disenfranchised people do Mm. not and there is it's systemic there is a reason why people don't know hey is there an artist fee like am i being paid for my appearance like it's all wild and i hate it i had this week actually my phone has been blowing up because 2016 17 some year in the past i did uh an interview with a I guess they have a book, but they were all like a platform and they have like a big social media thing. I don't, Mm -hmm. one of those, something in the ether Mm -hmm. um, for Black History Month. And it was about like fashion and style and identity. And it was in New based in New Orleans too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I was one of the interviews, Tank from Tank and the Bangas. Um, So there's a set of interviews and they're really, really cute. They're really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it in lots of ways. Yeah but they've reposted segments of that video. Mm-hmm. And so my phone's been blowing up like, oh, I saw you again, that's yeah, yeah, you, like, that's yeah, my phone. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yes, that is me. Mm-hmm. Never cut a check. They Never. didn't even buy me a drink at the hotel when we were no. waiting. And I'm just like, so, it's not necessarily that I regret doing that interview. It was also like, you take your clothes off while you do the interview. And like, mm-hmm. I was very, very hot. Yeah. And like, oh, it's- I know the thing you're talking about. Never got paid. Adrian Marie Brown did it. Yes. I love her. Yeah. I bet she got paid. I wonder. Probably. Maybe. She's a badass bitch. Well, I mean, is it a, like, is it a nonprofit? Is it like a good cause? 
maybe that's maybe she. Didn't I'm get a paid. good cause. No, I'm not profit. I mean, I know what you mean. <laughs> just, I know what you mean, but I mean, she's a yeah. I don't know. So I think her, her people like a, probably would have done something different. Right, or people can mean. people can make their own choices and do their own actuarial right, charts. Right, right, right. Um, and like, I didn't ask to be paid. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. I signed releases, mm-hmm. but you know, also in the context of like my work and like the things I've done, that's one of you know I can rattle off more than I have not even just fingers but fingers and toes I don't have enough phalanges are they yes, called phalanges, yes, phalanges to accurate. count the ways in which I've been integral to the creation of content that creates money yeah about my yeah. life my experience who um who I am as a New Orleanian who I am as a black person who I am as a woman who I am as those three things really together media, so is this why um yeah yeah, <laughs> I, I respect that. I was so very much. much on the internet for a long time. Um, and my old job, too, involved, I worked for a, um, a trivia company for HBCUs, historically black, uh, a trivia league for historically black colleges. Girl, I know what an HBCU is. I did, I assumed, I, see, that's, I'm here from we, here. But I did it for the audience. Oh, but I'm trained, I'm also, it's one of those that's things smart. where my you're trained. That's audience is a lot of transplants, so. Where you're trained to do this, yeah, these yeah, things that, like, I know what that means. Of course, that makes but, sense. But, like, if I say HBCU, so, yeah. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so HBCUs, historically black colleges yes, and thank universities. Thank you for clarifying. Thank you for clarifying. Um, yes, yes, yes. It's, it was fun. I like I liked writing trivia a lot, um, kind of for any audience, because like you can do what you want. And I'm a word games, like, person. Oh, no. So I, I, I like to, like, smart for me. I like to do stuff where, like, I would do, I did a, a lot of categories. It was, like, history haikus, where all of the questions are in haiku no. forms, mm-hmm. and they're about history. Yeah, no, I'd be like, I don't know any of these things. I am not. Uh, well, actually, history I do maybe okay with, because uh, I'm a little, a little bit it. of a history girl. But. I love it. Oh, I love But that. so I used to do like all of those types of things and I ran social media for this mm. trivia company. So I was also doing social, like just constantly engaging in it. And I wasn't able to get off my personal social media because I needed to have it for work. So when I left that job to be able to like be off the internet. You did it. Oh my God. I can't be off the internet. I don't I, know what it's like. It's amazing. I believe you. And people still, like people will st- still like text me pictures of like fat cats and Tom Hardy's feet. So yeah. like it's fine. They know you're not on the internet and they're like, you need to see this. Yes, Terry will have this. Yeah. She, she deserves joy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello, it's your host, Mary Jacobs. I'm sitting here with my producer, Carrie Mulder, and we are so excited to be bringing you Planet NOLA this episode and every episode. We really believe in this podcast mm-hmm. and the work it's doing in New Orleans to build community, to reach out to people, yeah. um, and we really love what we do. Yeah, we love our guests, we love our audience, our listeners, we love each other. It's just a big love fest. So if you love this podcast and you believe in what we're doing, it would mean the world to us if you considered subscribing to our Patreon. We just launched it. The lowest tier is $5. Mm-hmm. And we are just really trying to get this podcast to pay for itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe support ourselves just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. We're both creative people who have a lot of projects. And this is a big one in our lives. So if mm-hmm. you love it as much as we love it, um, it would mean the world to us if you considered subscribing. There is bonus content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. It takes a deep dive into the episode. Kind of circle back to some of the topics. They've been fun. Yeah, Super we basically fun. record with the guests as soon as we're done their episode and do a more candid version of their podcast. Mm-hmm. It's short but it's more self-effacing and it feels like just real real you yeah know? it's it's bts behind the scenes it's the bts so if you want more planet nola content you could subscribe to our patreon and mm-hmm. get it it would mean so much to us so okay we'll let you go back to your episode now but please okay. consider thank you bye This episode of Planet NOLA is brought to you by Vitality Community Fitness. Vitality is a functional training gym located in Metairie, Louisiana. And at Vitality, we focus on members as individuals. That's right. We don't want people together. We don't assume that everybody has the same goals when they step into our gym. We also don't push things like body ideals or diet culture. We try to focus on the full person and we try to give an experience that matches that. We've got incredible coaches. We've got an incredible community. And if you're looking for a place to call your new gym home, consider checking us out. We offer a three free class trial. That's right. Literally no commitment. You can try three of our classes in a week to see if our gym is for you because ultimately we want people who want to be there. And if it sounds like this might be the space for you, please consider checking us out. You can go to vitalitycommunityfitness.com, click the contact button and get started. Hello and welcome back to Planet NOLA. I'm your host, Mary Jacobs. I'm still here with Terry Simon. We've been talking about what haven't we been talking about? Um, but on the break, we <laughs> talked a little bit about sock ops, and I was like, "Wait, can we talk about sock ops for a second? And you told a story about how your best fr- you became best friends with somebody because she was your mortal enemy first at a sock yeah. op. Well, so I feel like maybe we should 
if they don't exist anymore or people who aren't from here. The yeah. JCC Do you guys know about sock hops? Like, the sock hops loomed. I imagine things like them have existed in many places. Of course. But if you grew up in New Orleans, especially if you went to like an ISAS school or one of the magnet schools in the 90s and 2000s, then you went to sock ops at the JCC. Absolutely. On St. Charles and Jefferson. And they were once a month. Yep. Maybe. Yep. And you would just go dance to all the hits. Yep. With all your friends. Yep. All like all the hot guys were there because you didn't know you were gay yet, so you were super into it. Yeah, truly, truly. I I have so many <laughs> special. Experience. Yeah, it's truly so many special sock hop memories. I met my first group of guy friends when I was like eleven, twelve at a sock hop, and I went up to them because they were all wearing like Guns N' Roses T-shirts, Sorry. and they were like the only alt alt looking boys there. And so I was like, oh, these will be my friends. And to this day, the They're one wearing friends. the Guns N' Roses T-shirt is one of my best friends, like in the world, and like. Uh, a person we were just talking about I met there. My scandal there once, it, uh, some girl was wearing a t-shirt that said, bite me. And Did you bite her? I bit her. Yes. Um, and she tried <laughs> to get me kicked out. And the, the adult that she had pulled over, whoever they were, was like, well, your shirt does say bite me. And then I got to stay. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> I wonder, when you say the adult, I wonder like, as Who a kid, was these people looked like, like a 10-year-old. Like, right, yeah. I wonder, was it yeah. like a 20-year-old? 20, 20 yeah, yeah, like, was somebody, it actually a child? Somebody doing, like, service hours or something. The um, JCC hookups were so dope. Good. Like, you made mad connections there. Like, My I'm so grateful Carly, for them. She actually just last week moved to Seattle, and I'm devastated. Devastatad, I think, is the scientific <laughs> term. Um, but we met at a JCC hookup, and she stole my Adidas bucket hat, and we were mortal enemies. That's so funny. And now we're best friends. BFFs. Yeah. It's a special place. It's like, do kids have things like that anymore? Um, I, my kids don't go to them. If, yeah. if they exist, my kids aren't going to stuff like that. They like, go. Where to do you parties. meet kids that don't go to school with you? You know, they my kids, they walk to the park and they have like friends who go to different schools or do different programs and they meet like stuff through like their friends, siblings. Oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, my 14 year old is really it's really, really cute to me. She's like, I'm going to go walk to City Park with my friends. I'm like, OK, guy, Aww, here's five dollars. That's really sweet. Don't get pregnant. Oh, my God. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck out there, kid. Here's five dollars. You can buy literally a pack of gum. Yes. At the in this in this economy. <laughs> Chase a duck. I remember like at the beginning of my school week in high school, I would ask my dad for twenty dollars for the week. And that would be my money for the whole week. And I'm like, what would twenty dollars get a kid now for the whole Nothing. week? Nothing. Like Nothing. And I would save it all week so I could go to punk shows on the weekend and I would spend all of it to go to shows. But it, the idea was that it was like for lunch and snacks and whatever. But now twenty dollars wouldn't get you anywhere. We used to sell our RTA bus tickets. <gasps> oh, that's a good idea. That's a good hustle. My brother used to sell condoms. He got kicked out of Holy Cross for that. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, he would get them for free at bars or something. I don't know. He would he would acquire them, probably shoplift them or something. Who knows? And then he would sell, sell them at them. Holy Cross, and he got kicked out for that. He got kicked out for a few things, but that was one of them. He was an entrepreneur. Uh, entrepreneur. An entrepreneur who Absolutely. was doing the work necessary to protect the community from itself. Know, frankly, truly, we're my whole family full of entrepreneurs, and it's just a, it's part of our like life, you know. Know? like it's our it's our ancestral inevitability like we are <laughs> entrepreneurs we're hustlers yeah I think about that a lot with the kids like what stuff like what is growing up in New Orleans going to be like for them like where are the similarities and where are the differences right and like kids are also I live with them you know I've known them their whole lives yeah. they look just like me but they're <laughs> also really foreign to mm -hmm. me like I don't know what they do with their time or what their interests are mm -hmm. like it's not that I don't feel like I have a close relationship with my friend with my kids or like a good relationship with my kids it's just that like I think about this all the time it's because these kids have like these internal lives that we can't see and they don't know how to articulate yet no so it's like you really don't they don't know who they are and that's part of it but it's also just like you're sitting across from them being like what is going you? on like, there yeah what is in your head like i can't fathom it all the time i ask my nieces and nephew like what are you thinking and they're like um nothing and i'm like you've got to be thinking something like what's well, going it's on also when i think back like when i was 14 when i was 12 my kids are 14 12 and 8 when i was those ages my, my parents i don't have a lot of memories of my parents physically being with me doing stuff together <laughs> certainly not me like either. i lived with them yeah but clearly. you weren't like hanging with them yeah like, I I know they weren't, like, playing Legos with me or doing imaginary cooking shows while sitting in a tree. Yeah. Like... Are you doing that kind of stuff? When I was eight, definitely. Oh, I love that. And, I like... Mean, me too. And, like, our eight-year-olds, like, he just 
one time we put him outside because he was just being annoying and loud. <laughs> Go outside. He's like, I don't have anything to do. And we, he went out there. He cried for like five minutes. And then I he went played. out to bring him some water or something. And he was nowhere to be found. He had gone around in the neighborhood. And he's like, oh, I'll just be outside. And like, he came back a while later. He's like, oh, I'm going to go back outside. I'll just put my imagination in my hands. Oh, I'm like, good. oh, Booker, you sweet angel. But also, what are you doing? Yeah. Was there ever a moment when you started to have children that you were like, I should not be having children in New Orleans? Or did you always know you wanted to have your family here? Um, I... So I don't know. That question actually just doesn't reflect the way that I had kids. Um, oh, okay. Oh, not like bad question. Just no, but I, like you weren't like thinking of it intentionally. Maybe yeah. I my son, my even... oldest was born. I had just made twenty two. Uh-huh. Um, you weren't like consciously deciding to raise kids in New Orleans, is what you're no, saying. No, I wasn't consciously deciding to have kids. Exactly. Like, right. Just, right. Okay. That's what are. you're saying. Um, and in lots of ways. You know, I'm 36 now. Maybe I'm 37. I was born in 1986. You do the math. Mm-hmm. There somewhere. Um, and a lot of my friends who are the same age have be- have either like re- re- in the past few years had their first kid or like are yeah. thinking about like actively like deciding to have a baby now. Right. And that's so wild to me. You're like, I didn't decide. This. Like a lot it of times they're like, when did you know you were ready for kids? I was like, bro. Never? Ne- like, I'm still If not I ready. ever, like, had to be like, am I ready? Can I afford it? I just would not have children. Yeah. There's no... Yeah. They're bonkers. Yeah. They're insane. So expensive. And they're just... Time-consuming. They're crazy. <laughs> a few years ago, my baby cousin, Breezy, who is an adult, like, mm-hmm. it's my baby cousin, but she's, right, of course, you know, yeah. 25, uh, before she had her daughter, Ayla, she was like, Tubby, because they all called her Tubby, like, what? A, I don't know, like... What do, do I, I don't know if I want to have kids. I'm not sure. And at this point, I think my oldest was maybe 11 and the youngest was six. And I was like, Breezy, I don't, it's probably fine. Like have kids or don't have kids. All <laughs> like the only useful like tidbit of information I can give you is uh-huh. that from 2008 to 2016, because I had three kids in kind of close succession, mm-hmm. I didn't go a single day if I wasn't on a work trip where I didn't make direct eye contact with someone while one of us was pooping. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, and I'm not saying that that's a good or a bad thing. I just think it's, it's exemplary of the experience. You have to realize how much is really going to change. Yeah. Like I just, life has changed completely. Are you ready for that? Right. Like I, is anyone ever ready for that? years where a day didn't go by where I didn't make direct eye contact with someone while one of us was shitting. That is so funny. Do with that what What you you will. will. Yeah. I just... (laughs) Right? Like, it's not, are you ready to look people in the eye while one of you shits all day? Because who knows? Maybe whatever your jam is. But, like, it's a thing. Okay, well, so now that you have kids here and you don't really think anything about it, do you see... Like, I was pretty conscious, and this might be because of Katrina. I was pretty conscious as a youth of, like, living in New Orleans and how special it was. Do you see that in your kids? Do they seem to, like, really know that they live in a cool place? Or does it just... Um, I think they definitely do. The older ones were... um, They have memories of when I was in grad school. I went to grad school in Illinois for two years. Um, And so they remember... I think Harlan did kindergarten and first grade up there. Mm Lolly did pre-K. They remember living in a small Illinois town and, like... They have more awareness of, like, the concept of New Orleans as a place and as a specific place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I wonder. I always wonder. I really do always wonder. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I think I'm just this way because of Katrina. But, like, I was really conscious of it. I was like, this is the best place in the whole world. And when I left for college, I was very much like, I know I'm leaving the best city in the whole world. You know, like. I guess I remember that, too, as a kid or as a teen, I remember. Right. I guess maybe um, that's when it starts happening. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember going on, like, road trips and having, like, my internet friends from, you oh know, the MySpace days. Classic. Uh, or, like, Live Journal were. And I, yeah, I was I was very much on the internet as a Me child. Me, too. We were just um, talking about this with Rusty Laser. And so, like, I just remember having friends in lots of other places and just mm-hmm. being like, y'all don't get Mardi Gras break off. That's dumb. It sucks for you. Man. Like, yeah. I mean, I've always appreciated it. And my, my friends in Texas, like when they we were like they were turning twenty one, and they're like, "Oh, it's such a big deal. We're gonna go drink." And I was like, like "I've been drinking, okay, bro. I've been drinking." Y'all are messy. Is your family still here in New Orleans? Yeah. Where do they live? Uh, my parents are in Gentilly. A I lot see. of my family's in like Marrero and Gretna. Um, and then, well, so yeah, my pe- my dad's family. My dad's mom was in Pontchartrain Park, mm-hmm. um, but his family is in Marrero, Gretna, and Treme, and. Um, we have like kind of a large extended family and you know I have I have the light skin New Orleans face too mm-hmm. so it's like the thing of, are like, you Creole 
it is a point of contention in the, in the family. Interesting. Um, so I say no. I don't think we're Creole. We're okay. not culturally Creole. We've never been Francophone. Or if okay. we were, nobody remembers it. We're just like very, <laughs> very light-skinned. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of feelings about the use of Creole kind of in this what I think is a really anti-black way mm, where people will be like, oh, you're not regular black, you're Creole, oh, yeah. which is the exotic, like the good kind, right? right? Um, and that kind of Ooh, that comes... That terrible. Well, and it's all Creole is an identity, right? And it's right. like, here's where you can do history stuff. Yeah. So when you go back to like the root of the word Creole, we get mm. it from Criollo, which is this Portuguese and Spanish word that just meant born in the Americas mm. because that was, you know, at that time, 1700s, that made a really big difference. If you were enslaved people, you wanted somebody born, if you were buying enslaved people, you wanted somebody born in the Americas because they could withstand tropical diseases. Right. If you were white, there's a big difference between white Creole and Peninsulare, someone from the Iberian Peninsula, because that's mm -hmm. like the rich old money. Mm -hmm. And white people who were born here, Creole whites mm -hmm. are the, a different like social class. Right. Um, when we, like you move forward, you know, a few decades, maybe even a hundred years, you get to when Anglophone, English speakers start coming in from what is now the United States coming to New Orleans. Um, they're Anglos, they're Protestants. And so for them, their model of slavery, their model of race is there is white, there is black. Those are two just different categories. Boom. Like, yes, we know mixed race children exist, but we sold them. We don't like, they're not right. part of our society or community. In Louisiana, things were a little bit different. And for those Anglos coming down here, French and Spanish Creoles, mm -hmm. they're French, they're Spanish, they're Catholic. They weren't even really white mm -hmm. to those Anglos, to the Anglo-Americans. And so Creole at that time kind of becomes racialized right. in a way that it wasn't before. And a lot of white Creoles in Louisiana stopped. Like that's when they start giving up being Creoles Creole. yeah, they because there's it. this idea that that means they're like, mixed yeah which is like ew gross yeah um, i mean that's the way it was always explained to me growing up right like creole equals mixed and it mm -hmm. doesn't it historically has well, later not, i unlearned all of that but yeah. i that's the way it's all that's the social construct but, of it and i think in my family a lot of the like we're, we were never like we're not creole we don't speak french that wasn't our cultural history um as a family and a lot of the family members who have kind of picked up being like really proud of being Creole in my in my opinion just being like real real light skin <laughs> there's like it's just like a way that they can identify as yeah. cool white light skinned yeah as, as like to to separate themselves from it feels like a hierarchy it, yeah yeah that sucks um so it's like black asterisk and, oh yeah that sucks you know I love my family but yeah 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 that sucks it's just uh come on guys come interesting. on interesting damn I feel like <laughs> I feel like I have never and I think I might have told you this when we talked on the phone I was like and I've told Carrie this I'm like I really want to get somebody on the podcast that can talk about specifically New Orleans and Louisiana history because like I'm just like a hobbyist I don't fucking know anything you know but yeah. like this is like a thing that I'm like there are there is so much repeated in New Orleans history over and over and over and over again in our in our now until all the way back you know like I was, I'm rereading this Louisiana history book right now. I keep talking about it. And they're talking about our very first governor of Louisiana, the guy from Detroit or whatever, who made Detroit, whatever his name is, and how he was corrupt. And I was like, oh, LOL, our first, one of our first politicians Imagine. ever after Louisiana is made is a corrupt politician. And it's just comical okay. to me that the cycle, and, and that's just one example, you know, like these cycles and these things repeat. And it's like, remember how we all say like there's a lot to learn from history and we don't want to repeat the past? Like let's, there's nothing let's to do talk under the sun. Let's talk about it more. People are always like history is the past. It's like, actually it's the present. It's everything. So it's I appreciate constant. you taking the time to yeah. break it down. Because what is it? Uh, what is the show? Time is a flat circle. Matthew McConaughey. I don't also know. Louisiana relevant. Some uh, true detective. The true detective season oh, in Louisiana. He's like time is a flat it. circle. I don't okay. like crime. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I don't like crime. You know, I just turned this corner like uh, during the pandemic when the world was literally horrible and awful. I mean, it still kind of is. You know, between Trump and people dying and everything, I just turned this corner in lockdown where I was like, I cannot and will not consume drama tragedy crime oh, wow. i don't watch horror movies anymore i don't like if kristen my partner puts on anything that's like slightly got adult themes i'm like turn it off see i'm also like i'm really fascinated by the ways we tell stories about history and present like ourselves um 
And a lot of times, like part of what I, I mean, I like all media. I'll watch anything, just put it on. I love it. Um, but like, I really, really love history movies of like horrible events. Oh my God. Both nope. like communal, community and individual, like the Nightingale from a couple years ago. Mm, didn't see it. Nope. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. I love, um, sure, when everybody was into Chernobyl, I was like, nope. Oh, you would I, love it, huh? Yeah, I loved you it. Would love I also it. really, really loved um, Svetlana Alexievich. Maybe is her last name. It's something like that. She because that's based on um, a set of stories she wrote about Chernobyl. I think they might have been interviews, but it's with people who experienced the blast and like they're just gut wrenchingly devastating. You, and you're like, let me and read all beautiful. of this. Beautiful. I reread them consistently and just like sob. Oh, They're so beautiful. There's one and the woman. I'd rather write oh, God, on my TV. You know it's so good. Like, it's that so good. Brutal to me. It's a really good example too of a book that a part of what I like it like about it as a as a nonfiction as a long form nonfiction is that it is a communal history of an event and it's yeah. just like all of the people have these. It's, oh, it's just. All right, I'll take your word for uh, it. No, I want to be like, oh, there's this story and this story, no, but there's kind of story. Don't, waste, oh, your, don't waste your voice. I will not be checking it out. It sounds terrible. Uh, it's so good. No offense. Do you have any other, um, like, New Orleans identities? Like, obviously, like, you're a historian. Your family's from here. Do you feel like your toes are dipped in any other waters? Like, do you have anything else going on that's like, you know what I mean? Um, like, people in New Orleans feel like they have everything going on. Yeah. I don't and I really like well, that. you have three children so I feel yeah. like that's a lot um I mean I yeah I just like to stay home and yeah. go for walks and like where do you be walk? quiet um well I go weekly um one morning a week I go with my friend Lori who is a writer she's also was recently on a really great Netflix documentary about um MDMA about doing psychotropics oh cool. yeah she um but she's really super I smart to an incredible podcast series on that about psychotropics that was oh, never mind Keep going. um she's fascinating and really really smart and writing a book we're writing a pilot that i want to get funded so i can watch it right you're like just I like aggressively um but she and i go for walks once a week in the morning like old ladies in city park oh um, that's so, so we just it's, we go really early and like it's all like the men of a certain age in their like in their like little sweatpants and their and their new balances just getting their steps yeah. in um i love getting my steps in you like getting your steps in you're a big getting steps in yeah where I else do you walk like... beside city park um i stay in tremaine so i walk around there a, lot. there a lot um and i like to ride my bike a lot oh, so nice. I, I bicycle through the city a do lot do you feel safe on your bike in new orleans yes yeah um i'm also a really unsafe rider oh god uh, I'm that person. Oh, I, no. I ride a fixed gear bike. I do have, I have a, a loose brake on it though. And I don't ride with a helmet. And Will I. Will you please knock on some wood or something? What are you doing? I just, they're sweaty. You I'm look like a dork. I'm just letting the Lord take me when he's ready. Look, I'm not, I don't even, I didn't ask to be here. You know? <laughs> I say that all the time. Mostly to my parents. <laughs> I, I didn't, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I'm here without my consent and against my best wishes <laughs> and against my sense. So look, um, okay. I'm going to ask you the million dollar question. The million dollar question is if you had an unlimited budget tomorrow and you can do one big project for the city of new Orleans, um, what would it be? So here's the thing. Do you have to use the money to fund something? Or you just have the money and you can use it. Oh, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I don't care. I usually tell people a project, like how would you use that money? I just universal income. You just give it away. I would just, I think, if I think about the kinds of things I would want to fix or invest in, like to go top down investments, going to waste more money than if I j- like I give firmly, people money. My friend, um, a friend of mine who I love very much, he every year would ask for like Christmas. He'd be like, uh, "What like black or brown organizations oh, can I donate to?" And I was like, I just got so fed up, and I was like, "Just give black people money. I don't know why y'all so scared. Just give black people yeah. money. Yeah. Just I would just give black people money. Yeah." <laughs> that's a great answer it's a great answer i think it's and a great like, answer some of us would use it horribly irresponsibly and have a great time and die doing what we love yeah. and other people would get fiber internet and <laughs> we would have babysitters and we wouldn't yeah. have the same kind of like and other people school would, to prison would pipeline have money because, to like, do just, their dreams and like actually yeah. be happy and that's enough right? too some like, people might want to do like projects that are really important to humanity me personally i would lay down yeah i would take a nap 
I would take a big long nap. I would set up. <laughs> I would set up a lot of things with the money. Like I would set. I would give it to the places that it needs to be gone to, and then I would just be like, "Let me sit back in my very comfortable chair that I bought with some of the money and watch." You know, like I will relax on the sidelines. Like I think it'd be really interesting on an individual level and then on like a system level, like what would we do if we weren't always engaging from a place of panic and scarcity, right? Like, cause if I, say, if I say to you like, hey, you could have $2 billion tomorrow, your brain does this thing of like, what are, the, what are the pressures that are sitting behind me that I have to do? What are the debts that I have to pay? What do I have to set up to be safe, to be handleable, to be responsible? But like, what if, like what if we were little kids who just played with our hands and our imagination, call back? Like yeah. what if we just, like, what cool stuff would happen? Right. We could just do some really dumb, cool stuff. It would be incredible. I, I think would... about it all the time. I'm like, if I just had something to not have to think about, like, just, if capitalism didn't make me always feel unsafe and in a scarcity mindset, like, the amount of creation that could happen and how the amount of, like, personal and greater change that could happen, it'd be pretty exponential. Right. Like, I just, like, what if we had the freedom to just be really, really stupid? I mean, listen, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I love being stupid. It is so fun to me. I still play with toys. Like, I am a child. I am a child. I, uh, I, I really, really love toddlers. Um, I think they are the unspoken heroes of America. Fair. Um, they have the chubbiest little thighs and the cutest little butts. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just pursue pleasure it's in true. a way that is inspirational truly like they're not afraid of things they're not limited by i mean they're afraid of lots of things like sometimes they'll see a door and it really freaks them out they haven't seen one before yeah but like like if you ever like watch little kids even the way they eat with their hands like i physically can't touch something and not like i'm trained to think sticky is gross gross. and they are just like so free magical problem solvers truly truly i agree yeah well, I love that. And then the final question <laughs> I ask everybody is, I like to have people on this podcast that are cool or doing cool things, people that I want to, like, shine some more light on that maybe, you know, like, I love Big Frida, but it's not always about the Big Fridas of New Orleans, you know? Somebody that's an everyday person that's just doing really cool, inspirational things in the city that, and the people that, like, really make up what this city is, who comes to mind when I say that that you think I should have on the podcast? Um, so one would be Lori Tipton. All right, hell um, yeah. Because we already mentioned her, and I just think she does really Great. fascinating, yeah. interesting things that are both New Orleans related and New Orleans rooted and also just like expansive and weird and cool. Um, But I also just think it would be really cool to talk to someone who like the guy at the corner store. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I want somebody who like the uncle who owns all the brothers locations in Chalmette. Absolutely. Like I would be fascinated by just like the stories they could tell and the jokes they had. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm eventually gonna have my dad on here, which is like, he's an old yat, you know? And I'm like, one day I'll have him on here and talk about all his old yat stuff, you know? Like I love that. I agree with you right there with you. That's well circling back to like what's New Orleans and growing up in New Orleans and not a thing that I think my kids are aware of. um, Just because like my, their dad is white and like, they exist in the world and there's lots of kind of conversations around race and class and things that go on in navigating the world that we live in together. Um, And sometimes their friends will be around and I'll realize that their friends don't have the same kind of critical lens on things. Um, But one of it is that my kids are really, really aware of and also interested in ethnic whites, which are fascinating to me. Interesting. And like, I love... Like, other places, I think, don't have them in the same way. Like, Chicago sort of has some. New York Mm -hmm. sort of has some. Mm -hmm. Um, That TV show, The Bear, like, Mm -hmm. sort of tries to get at what ethnic whites are, even though they have New York Jews playing uh, Catholic Irish in Chicago. It makes no sense. (laughs) But, like, we have the best white people who aren't white regular white yeah like they're very white y'all are all white Kristen and i talk about this all the time (laughs) because and we also talk about it in the frame of transplants because we both have family members that you know are what i've never had a name for it so to hear you say ethnic whites i'm like yep that's pretty much what it is the newly white the ones who just got here yeah yeah and like y'all been here for a long time my brother's a little bit like that her cousin is like that it's you know, very drenched in black culture and like, it's very authentic to them. So a comedian has a joke that in there, like, if I think the person would talk like that if they got pulled over to a cop, then I just think that's who they are. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's how 
these people are in New Orleans, in the greater New Orleans area. And Chris and I always talk about how, like, our transplant friends are really uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable with this, this nuance. Like a new, like a Midwestern white transplant. Oh, they hate meeting, it. like, you know the girls from Marrero who... They might be white. They might be a slanio. They might just have a lot of gel in their hair, or they might be black. They, they might have you just gone literally to a, don't they might know. Have just gone to a public school on the West Bank, right. and they're white. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's not like, and it's not that they've put on a voice. No, like, it's like because their grandma also talks just like, like that. that. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I, uh, I like. It's um, funny because God, a lot of people. Like, oh, that's think- appropriative, ma'am. These people have sounded like this since they got off Truly. the boat from Croatia. And people not from here also think that the Yat accent, which is not what we're talking about. I think we both know there's like yeah. a difference here. But like there's this Yat version that like sounds almost like, I mean, people always think Cajun and Yat people are like black. Like they try to sound black. Or they'll be like, oh, I didn't expect you to be white. There's this like really incredible like athlete trainer on the West Bank that we know who's like, He's from Chalmette. Like, he's just this little guy, but he's nationally recognized because he trains huge athletes and he's got this really genius, whatever. I'm telling you all this because <laughs> his accent is incredibly thick. And my partner and I consume his content because we own a gym. And he was going on this huge international podcast. And the guy on the podcast, into the podcast goes, <laughs> I'm sitting here with whatever his name is, Gerald Boudreaux. Kristen's going to kill me. I don't know his name. Um, Gerald Boudreaux. And just so everyone knows, he is, in fact, a white man. <laughs> I was like, oh, my. God. Well, first of all, why does it matter? And second of all, like, what? I love that. As Isn't a black person, so I love funny? hearing white people in, like introduced like that. Though. Isn't that so <laughs> start funny? Doing that, people come in my house. Isn't that so funny? Like, oh, that they really don't know the difference between like the people's tonalities, you know. But anyway, well, no, it is really. It's just great. And the like, <laughs> and that's the, great. it's just great. But that's also the thing of like going, like how history repeats itself and identities mm-hmm. repeat itself. Exactly. And like Louisiana and New Orleans as it's part of what I talked about with uh, Gottschall in the article mm-hmm. is that we've always kind of been on the edge of, an, of the American empire. And there are very specific, like, every place is specific and has specific mores. Like all standards are made up. Everything's imaginary. Race, right, race is a lie. Yeah. But it's also the realest thing in our lives. Yeah. And our... His specific history of race being separate from and on the outside of the larger United States history of race does mean that, like, white people come here from Connecticut and see white people here and are like, yo, is it is it mixed? Yeah. And that's the same thing that was happening when the people from Philadelphia were getting here in 1812. They were like, that's a Catholic. <laughs> it's it's a Catholic, and its last name is Perez. I guess I it's, don't what understand. Is it? What is I it? I don't understand. Uh, I uh, I love that so 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 much. Well, Terry, with that, I think we have to end the podcast. I'm glad that we Let's wound up right back at the article, though, because that's the whole reason I had you here. And I'm like, I'm so Full happy circle. to have met you. Like, this was such a beautiful conversation. How do you feel? You feel good? I feel good. I kind of I, peer pressure. The camera's on. You kind of have to. I feel good. She feels held hostage. I feel um, good. And it doesn't even feel that hot without the air conditioner. Oh, so. thank God. Yeah. I mean, I'm surviving barely, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, thank you so much. If y'all are listening, we do have a Patreon now and there's going to be a bonus episode. So tune in and y'all be in touch. Bye. Thank you again to this episode's guest. Planet NOLA is produced by Carrie Mulder and Mary Jacobs. If you liked what you heard here, please consider subscribing to us on YouTube or all your social media platforms and pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Also, if you really, really liked this episode, think about subscribing to our Patreon where we have tons of bonus content from this episode and more. It starts at just $5 a month and it would mean the world to us. Thanks so much, y'all, and be in touch.